You guys give it up for uh, Zach Kuhn again one more time. <laughs> takes a lot of courage. takes a lot of courage to get up here and speak. It's, it's not easy to do. Zach, thank you for sharing your testimony. It's so important to hear what God's doing in our community and in our lives. We're in this series called Feeling the Psalms, and we're talking about how the Psalms express the range of human emotions, and maybe this morning you felt that in the worship as I did, where there's just this range of human emotions in song. When we sing to the Lord, we can experience all kinds of things deep in our hearts as we express our love and gratitude to the Lord. But it's important to know this, where this is kind of a foundational truth of this series, that emotions make great servants but are terrible masters. So we want to tap into to knowing what is going on in our hearts and what our emotions do and how, you know, we're created in the image of God to have these emotions, and yet we don't want to be mastered by them. We want to have them serve us and serve the Lord. And so last week, Ryan talked about this when he talked about sadness, how sadness needs to be um, acknowledged and it needs to be um, owned, you know, when we're feeling sad. And we have to find ways to express that, and yet there's also kind of an unhealthy Sadness that can dominate us if we're not careful. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Uh, it was a really good one. And so this morning, we're going to flip this on its head a little bit, and we're going to talk about joy. Is that all right? I mean, I can keep going on sadness if you want. Well, let's talk about joy this morning. What is joy? I, I want to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Happiness is a momentary response to positive circumstances. Something great happens at work. Something great happens in our life. And we're happy, and that's good, and God wants that for us. But that is happiness, and it's temporary. And joy is something else. Joy is a little deeper. Joy comes from a deeper place, and it's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on what's happening to us or what's happening around us. And Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, he says joy is a pervasive sense of well-being, not just well-being because of what's happening in our life in the moment, but this pervasive, deep well of well-being. That's what joy really is. First Thessalonians 1.6, Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that Interesting. They, they welcomed the gospel, and, and this is what's crazy, is they were experiencing severe suffering, severe suffering, not just a little suffering, severe suffering, and yet in the midst of it, they experienced joy from the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. It tells us a few things. We can experience joy in the midst of severe suffering, and it may not be happiness, but joy is this deep thing that we can experience no matter what's going on in our life. And this kind of indestructible joy is given to us by the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's something that the world can't give us. It's something that our jobs can't give us necessarily. It's something our family can't give us. This kind of indestructible joy is something that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I like to think of these three things as kind of ecosystems of the kingdom of God. Joy is one of the ecosystems of the kingdom of God found in the Holy Spirit. So if you think of a kingdom like an earthly kingdom, imagine a king with a castle, you know, the whole thing. And often one area of his kingdom was the forest. And another kingdom was sort of maybe 
plains and ranches, and maybe another part of his kingdom was seaside, where the ocean is, and these different ecosystems of his kingdom. I think righteousness is one of the ecosystems of the kingdom of God. We're given righteousness, and we live out that righteousness and holiness. Peace is one of the ecosystems. We're made right with God, and so we have peace with God, and we have peace with other people, and we have peace with ourselves. We can live out of that peace, and joy is one of those things. Joy is one of those ecosystems where we're given joy by the Holy Spirit, and we can live joy-filled lives. I love what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 11. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Did you know that Jesus wants his joy in you? Let that sink in for a second. Imagine how much joy Jesus had in him. Fullness of joy. And he turns and he looks at you and he goes, I want my joy in you. And I want your joy then to become complete. Why? Because my joy is in you. How powerful is that? That Jesus wants you filled with his joy. How does that happen? It happens through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience. It's one of the fruits, right? Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So if we can imagine inside of us is this amazing tree of life called the Holy Spirit. And we cultivate a relationship with that tree, right? And from that, there's this fruit gets born, right? Love starts hanging off the limbs of that tree. And peace and joy is one of those fruits that comes out of the Holy Spirit in us which tells us this, you don't will it into existence, you cultivate it. Guys, do you know that you can't wake up in the morning and just like flex your muscles and say, I'm gonna be joyful today. Like, and just, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna will myself to be joyful. It, it doesn't really work like that. And maybe some of you have tried that. It, it, you can't will yourself to be joyful. It's a fruit. In other words, what you do is cultivate it. You can't will a plant to grow fruit, but you can cultivate an environment where that plant will grow fruit. And so we have to learn how to cultivate joy in our lives. In this great book, Renovation of Heart, we recommend it in this church, and he's got a couple great chapters on emotion and feeling. Dallas Willard says, and so practically speaking, the renovation of the heart in the dimension of feeling is a matter of opening ourselves up to and carefully cultivating Love, joy, and peace. Those are like the three bedrock things. Love, joy, and peace. We have to learn how to cultivate them. And here's how. First, by receiving them from God and from those already living in them. So we can receive joy from the Lord and we can receive joy from other people living out of that Holy Spirit-filled joy. And then as we grow, extending love, joy, and peace to others and everything around us in attitude, prayer, and action. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate this? What are some pathways? I'm going to call it pathways this morning. Pathways to cultivating joy in our lives. Where there's a psalm, there's a great psalm. We've been looking at the psalms in this series, and Psalm 126 is one of the greatest when it comes to joy. And if you look in your Bibles at the very beginning of Psalm 126, even before you get to verse 1, it'll say this little line, a song of ascents. What is that? Why do they have those things in the Psalms? There's always like weird things. Have you ever noticed that? Like things off to the side, like Selah. Like what? what? Well, this is one of those things. This is what he's, 
actually noting it's one of the 15 psalms in a series, and it's Psalms 120 through 134. Basically create a little collection. It's like a little anthology of psalms. And they were sung by Hebrew pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem or possibly while ascending Mount Zion or the steps of the temple. Mount Zion, otherwise Jerusalem, was in an elevated area. It was in the hill country. And so when people would go to Jerusalem, that's why in the Bible it says go up to Jerusalem because they would actually ascend. And as they would ascend, they would sing these songs from this section of the Psalms, 120 through 134. And this is one of the songs that they would sing. I actually experienced this. Some of you weren't even alive during this moment, but some of you might remember Stand in the Gap by Promise Keepers back in October of 1997. Some of you are like, yeah, I was born like seven years later. 97, in the fall, and I was there, and my dad was there, my brother was there, and we rode the metro down, and almost everyone on the metro was going to this big gathering of, of Christian men, like this huge gathering of Christian men, and we were all on the metro together, and of course, some worship leader, some, some guy starts singing a song, a hymn, and we all knew it. And we all start singing, and it was the craziest experience to be on the D.C. Metro. This is not holy ground, mind you, right? This is the D.C. Metro. We're on the D.C. Metro. The place is packed out, and we all start just singing this hymn. I don't remember what it was. We were just belting it out, and we all knew it. It was crazy. We were from all over the country, but we all knew this hymn. We were on our way to this great gathering, and that's what they would have experienced. Somebody would have been traveling to Jerusalem, and somebody would have just quietly would have started this song. And everyone there would have known it, singing it on their way to one of the great festivals, either Passover or uh, maybe Pentecost or maybe the, the Feast of Tabernacles. So here's how the psalm begins. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I love that. The Lord has done great things for us. Guys, we can say the same thing. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. This was about the return of, from exile. Remember, the people were kicked out of the promised land because of their disobedience, and they were in exile in a foreign land, Babylonia, and then Persia, and then they got to come back. They got to come back to their land their promised land. They got to come back to their temple and they were filled with joy for what God had done. And so, how'd they get there? When we look at this, they're filled with joy. That's great. That's where we want to go. But how did they cultivate that? What's the pathway that they took? Well, I think it was gratitude. Obviously, they're grateful for what God has done. But again, gratitude is one of those things you can't just conjure up necessarily. Sometimes you don't feel grateful. So how'd they get to gratitude, which led them to joy? And I would say it started with remembering. So they remembered what God had done. They didn't forget what God did. They remembered it. When they remembered how amazing it was what God did, gratitude began to well up in their souls. And from that gratitude, joy began to be expressed. Guys, this... This is our first pathway to cultivating joy. It starts with remembering. Guys, I want to just say that in the spiritual life, in the walk with Christ, forgetting what he's done for us is toxic. It's toxic. It leads to doubt. It leads to fear. 
It leads to all kinds of breakdown in our faith when we forget. Forgetting is toxic to the spiritual life. But remembering is like a jolt, you know, like a B12 shot in the arm to our life with Christ. Psalm 78 talks about when Israel forgot. It says, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his laws. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. So you have this image of these men who were completely armed for battle. And in in like the natural, they were ready. They were ready to fight, but they lost courage. They turned around. They left. Why? Because they forgot. They forgot how many times God came through for them. They forgot how many times God won the battle for them. And so they lost courage right in the middle of the fight. We'll lose courage if we don't remember. So here's some questions for you. What has God done for you? And some of you can think just a few weeks ago what God's done for you. Or a few years ago, what God's done for you. And if you're having trouble remembering, go back to the cross. God, I remember that you died on the cross. God, I remember you paid for all my sin and you rose from the dead. You gave me new life. If you need to go back that far, start back that far and remember. And let gratitude well up inside of you. But I don't think most of us need to even go back that far. We can go back and thank Jesus ultimately for the gospel, for the death and resurrection of Jesus. But man, most of us, if we would take half a second, we could go back to maybe just a few years ago, just a few months ago. God, I remember what you did. This is where journaling comes in. If you don't journal, this is a good time to start. Because here's what happens. We run into a hardship. We run into something that's a trial in our life. And we're like, man, God, where are you? And God taps on our forehead and goes, do you remember? And we go, no, I don't. Go look in your journal. God, I don't journal. <laughs> you know? Go back to your journal. And because you, you wrote it down two years ago, you remember what he did. You wrote down what he did a year ago. So, so you go back and you read through it and you're like, oh, God, now I remember what you did. And I'm grateful What powerful work of God do you need to remember? What can you thank him for today? Because gratitude will lead to joy. Man, sometimes I drop my two boys off at at school and I'm walking back to my car and I just feel this flood of gratitude. And it starts with like being grateful for, for my boys, but then it just gets ridiculous. I start looking at the grass and I'm like, oh man, thank you, Lord, for that grass right there. Thank you, Jesus. I hear you, bird. Thank you. you laugh, but this is literally like what's happening in my heart. Gratitude is contagious. And I remember that there's, there's kids that are, that are in uh, war-torn countries that, that, that have to walk to school through bombed-out cities, and I look at the grass. I'm like, my kids get to, get to walk through this to school today. God, I'm grateful. This is why we share testimonies. This is why Zach gets up here and tells about how God radically healed his knee just like that. It's to bring glory to Jesus, and it's to remind us of what's possible. It's to expand our imagination. In Link Group, Brody used this phrase. I didn't get his permission to use this because it's Brody. I I know I have his permission. He, He said, stories expand our imagination to new possibilities. Something like that. I might be butchering it. I'm sorry. Stories expand our imagination to new possibilities. That's what testimonies do. They expand our imagination of what's possible. They remember. They help us remember what God's able to do and his faithfulness.
All right, this is the next part of the psalm. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was the southern part of Israel. is full of desert. They didn't have streams in the Negev. They had dry riverbeds. And you can talk to, to Ryan and Kira more about this later because they saw this firsthand. But they're just r- dry riverbeds. But then when the rainy season comes, the floods come. Like the rains just pour through those things. And that's the imagery he's giving us. He's like, you know those dry riverbeds? That's how I'm feeling right now, God. I'm feeling like a dry riverbed. But God, would you come and restore my fortunes? Would you come and flood your rain down on me and let these rivers flow? And then he says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Guys, this is one of the most powerful promises in all of scripture. I want you to picture this. Someone is facing one of the hardest things that they'll ever have to face and they are weeping, weeping to the point where tears are dropping from their eyes. Have you ever been there? Just dropping to the ground. But this is the promise of the Lord that when that tear drops to the ground, it doesn't drop empty. It's a seed planted in that soil. How about this one? God sees your tears as seeds that he's planting in good soil so that one day you'll reap with songs of joy. It's just an amazing picture. And so in in this idea, we start with pain, we start with hardship, and yet we end up with this idea of songs of joy. How did we get there? How did we go from pain to songs of joy? And I think the way that we get there, the way the psalmist gets there, it's when we allow God to comfort us. Another way of saying it is, it matters what soil we sow our tears into. If your tears really are seeds, it matters where you plant them. If you plant your tears in good soil, you will reap songs of joy. But make sure it's good soil. Make sure you're taking it to the Lord. Because I think what happens in between pain and songs of joy is the consolation of the Lord. It's when the Lord comforts us. It's when the Lord comforts us. So this is our second pathway to cultivating joy. Isn't it interesting that our second pathway starts with pain? That we face pain in the present moment, but there's something that we can do that actually will lead to joy, and it's taking it to the Lord, letting God comfort us, letting him console us. Here's the problem, though. We can only experience God's comfort if we're not in denial. So if we face hardship, if we face pain, and then we're like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm fine. When we do the denial thing, we never take our pain to the Lord. So here's what happens. We're fine, we're fine, we're fine, and all we do is we cycle back to pain. We never get to joy. And the same is true. We can only experience God's comfort if we don't try to comfort ourselves. I think a lot of times that's what we do with our pain. We may be able to acknowledge that we're hurting, but a lot of times we'll say, well, that's okay. I'm just going to, I just need a drink. And then I need another drink, and I need another drink, and I need another drink. And I'll be good. And we try to comfort ourselves. Or we numb ourselves by sitting and watching Netflix over and over and over again. We think, if I can just forget about it, I know I'm in pain right now, but if I can just numb myself by sitting in front of the TV and numb the pain, then, it, then it'll go away. But it doesn't because all we do is we cycle back to pain. If we don't take our pain to the Lord, we never get to that place of joy. We just go right back to pain. We got to stop trying to comfort ourselves with our addictions, with alcohol, with food, 
with whatever it is that we think is going to bring comfort. Look, only the Lord is the one that can bring comfort, real comfort. And it's in that moment where you're with the Lord, where you take your pain to the Lord, and he exchanges it. There's an exchange that happens when you go and you spend time in worship and in time in prayer, and you cry your heart out to the Lord, and those tears falling from your eyes are seeds planted in his hands. That's the good soil. And he transforms it. He comforts our heart. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's who we're going to. The the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Our comfort abounds through Christ. We take our pain to the Lord, and his comfort washes over us. It abounds in that moment with the Lord where we're crying out to him, and our tears are falling like seeds in his hands, in the good soil, and he brings comfort to our heart. I love this psalm. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So I take my pain to the Lord, and he comforts me. But then I think, as if that's not enough for him to comfort me in my pain, he actually exchanges it with joy. Somehow, in his presence, I walk in, and I'm full of grief. But I walk out, and I'm full of joy. And here's the magical thing. Nothing in my circumstances changed. Nothing in my circumstances changed, but I changed. Why? Because I got into the presence of the Lord, and I gave him my tears, and I sowed my tears into his hand, and he gave me his comfort, and then he fills me with his joy in his presence. And guys, if you've ever experienced this, it doesn't make any sense, so don't try to make sense of it because I've walked out of prayer times with the Lord, and I don't even understand it because nothing's changed, but I'm filled with joy, and I look silly How can you be filled with joy knowing that all this junk is going on? It doesn't make sense, and it's not for me. I can't muster that up on my own. I don't have the ability. No one does. It's from the Lord. It's in his presence. And we get filled with joy. So are you taking your pain to the Lord? Are you taking it to the Lord, or are you trying to comfort yourself? This is the last part. And it's very similar to the, 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 that middle part there. He says, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is that farmer analogy, right? And it ends with songs of joy. How does he get there? How does he get to songs of joy? Let me tell you what a farmer doesn't do. A farmer doesn't go and plant seed and step back and go, Oh, man, I knew it. I knew no plants were coming out of that thing. That was such a waste. A farmer doesn't do that. Why doesn't a farmer do that? They know, because they've seen it before, that when you plant a seed in the right environment, the harvest will come. The harvest will come. And so they have hope. They don't plant that seed frustrated. They know the harvest is coming. Ryan talked about hope last week. And the hope comes from the perspective of 
the future. They understand because they did this last year. They planted the seed last year. They saw in time, in the right environment, the plants come up and bear fruit and have a harvest. So they have perspective on what's actually happening. They get above the clouds a little bit. They get above their pain a little bit. And they can see into the future a little bit. And they have perspective about what's really going on. I think that's what the psalmist is encouraging us. That in this farmer analogy, farmers have perspective about the future and what's coming. And it gives them hope. And so it leads to songs of joy. And that's our third pathway to cultivating joy. If we can get perspective of our situation, if we cannot get locked into the fact that we just planted that seed and now we're sitting there staring at it, if we can step back a little bit, if we can get up a little bit, pick our heads up and get our eyes on Jesus a little bit and see perspective of what's really going on, it'll lead to hope. In terms of perspective, we live from victory, not for victory. This is such an important distinction in the Christian life. Here's what I want you to imagine. I'm Wes's soccer coach this year. This is not hard for me to imagine. Imagine a kid's soccer game played after the other team already forfeits. It's almost happened Saturday, so this is not hard for me to imagine. But it's six on six with a goalie. Now imagine the other team only shows up with four kids. And the other team says, hey, we forfeit, you win. What do you do? Do you all go home? Probably not. What do you do? You play the game. You play four on four. But you've already won. Do you see that Jesus has already won the war? Do you see that what he did on the cross was take care of our sin? He paid the price for our sin. Do you see that he got buried in that tomb and he rose from the dead? He conquered sin and death. The war has been won. Regardless of the battles that we're in now, the war has been won and it is complete. So now the kids play. Now imagine a kid comes up to me, I'm the coach, and he goes down, he had a wide open goal, and he kicks the soccer ball, and it veers off to the left, and he misses the goal, and he's distraught because this is really intense, you know, for, for an eight-year-old. This is World Cup stuff, you know. So he's crying. He's so upset, and he comes over, and he's like, I blew it. I blew it. It's okay, man. I've got good news for you. You know what the good news is? I'm going to tell you a secret. We already won. We already won. Don't tell anyone. So, hey, man, I want you to score that goal. I want you to go out and be the best soccer player you can be. But I want you to be the best, not because it's all riding on your shoulders. And if you miss that goal, then it's, then it's all over. Let me take that weight off of your shoulders. What if now you know you're playing from victory, not for victory? What if now you can have the freedom just to play, knowing I've already won? How do you think that kid's going to play? He's going to play with Joy. Why is he going to play with joy? Because he has the hope that he's already won. Why does he have the hope? Because he has perspective now. The Christian life, we live from victory, not for victory. We can face hardship. We can face tough things. The, the war has been won, and not by us. Jesus is the one. When I look at these pathways to cultivating joy, I think about remembering, that discipline of remembering is really about reaching into the past about what God has done back then. 
This idea of handing your, your pain and your grief to the Lord in the moment is really about the present moment when you face trials in the present. But this last one, this perspective one, is about the future. It's about getting above the clouds a little bit, above our, our immediate situation. It's about having perspective about the future, that the war has been won. And so now we live from victory and we can live with joy. That, that, that weight on our shoulders has been lifted off because of what Jesus did. Jesus tries to sink this, you know, help this sink into his own disciples. In Matthew 19, he says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, see, he's, he's getting them up above the clouds to look out into the future. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. He's basically looking at his disciples and he's going, listen, I know life is hard, especially following me. I know what I've asked you to do is to take up your cross and follow me and sacrifice and follow me and give up the world and follow me. And listen, disciples, I know it's hard, but you know what? I got a hundredfold waiting for you. Name whatever you gave up. I got a hundred of those waiting for you. Can you come follow me? Can you have that perspective? Can you live with joy knowing what's coming? Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case we missed it, or the Philippians missed it, the church in Philippi, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, is Paul writing like fluffy Christianity? Is this the health and wealth gospel? Is this the prosperity gospel? You just gotta always be happy. Just be happy. Rejoice. Is that Paul? Is that what he's really writing here? I promise you it's not. Do you know why I know? Because he wrote this from prison. He wrote that line from prison with his death on the horizon. This is not fluffy Christianity. This guy was beaten, he was stoned, he was persecuted, he was thrown in prison. And from there, he goes, hey, guys, rejoice always, 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 always. You're facing something hard? I understand. I faced a lot of hard stuff. Rejoice. Not in your circumstances, in the Lord. Not because life is easy, but because of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, in him, we find our joy so we can always rejoice no matter what we're facing. This isn't about plastering our face with fake smiles. This isn't about happiness. This is about something much deeper. This is about the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit deep, deep, deep within us that can face anything and rejoice. Why do we need to rejoice in the Lord? I think Nehemiah makes it clear, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Did you know that when you have joy welling up in you, it actually makes you stronger? We need joy. Joy enables us to get through these hard times. Joy gives us the strength to persevere in hardship. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We have to be able to do both. Guys, listen to me. Empathy is the ability to do both. Yes, someone's hurting and we mourn with them. And the very next moment, somebody tells a great story about God doing something in their life and we need to rejoice with them. 
We need to not hold back the rejoicing because we're also mourning in the Christian life. It's not an either or. It's a both and and it's every day. Listen, I've had moments where on a Friday I'm sitting with a couple that's contemplating divorce and on a Saturday I'm doing a wedding. You don't get the option of I'm only going to mourn with those going through hard things. And we shouldn't rejoice because we might offend somebody. You don't get the option of just, I just want the happy times and the joyful times, and that's too hard for me. You don't get that option, guys. As Christians, what empathy is, is we do both all the time, every day, all day long. Because we have a joy that's not dependent on circumstances. Rejoicing with others gives us an infusion of strength. When someone else, look, I'm going through a hard time and someone else has an amazing victory, has an amazing story, I need to rejoice with them. You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength and if I'm gonna make it through this hard time, I better rejoice with them because it's an infusion of joy in my life. And I know a hard time is coming, just wait till tomorrow. So right now I need to rejoice. And I'll mourn with those who mourn. And I believe that if we can't rejoice well with others, we will not be able to mourn well with others. I think what happens in our heart is something really ugly. When someone has an amazing story, an amazing victory from the Lord, and we can't rejoice with them, what happens is we create this barrier in our heart, and we start saying things like, why not me? God, why did you do that for them? Why did, why did they get the promotion, and I didn't get the promotion? Why did they get the healing, and I didn't get the healing? Why did they have this amazing testimony, and I don't have that testimony? When that ugly thing starts happening in our heart, It builds these walls around our heart, and then when we go to mourn with someone who's really grieving, the reverse of that ugly happens. Oh, that's not that bad. You should have seen what I went through. Do you see it? If we can't rejoice with someone going through something amazing, we will never be able to mourn with that person who's really going through a hard time. They're connected. So these are our pathways to joy, remembering and allowing gratitude to well up, taking our pain to the Lord and getting that perspective. As the worship team comes up, a couple final thoughts. Guys, I really believe that we need to stop treating joy as if it's an optional part of living the Christian life. Have you caught yourself doing that? I know I've done that. Do you feel like joy is like icing on the cake? Optional? I think the Lord wants to reverse that for us. Joy is foundational. Love Joy and peace are foundational elements of living the Christian life. They are not icing on the cake. Joy is not an option. It's not optional. It's not an add-on. It is the Christian life. It is the Holy Spirit in you. It is an ecosystem of the kingdom of God, which should cause us to think about this. Lack of joy should be treated like a dashboard light coming on for our soul. If you find yourself this morning thinking, man, I don't have a lot of joy, Let that be a check engine light for your soul. Because the Christian life, joy, should be welling up from the Holy Spirit. And if it's not, that's okay, but let it be a check engine light. That's okay. Let it be an opportunity for you to investigate, man, why am I not experiencing joy? Why am I not tapped into joy in the Holy Spirit? What lie have I been believing? What has gone wrong here? And finally, How are you cultivating joy in your life? If you have any questions, you can text this message and spy your head and close with me as we close in prayer.
Jesus, we just acknowledge this morning that you are filled with joy. That, Father God, you're not this angry God, but you are a Father that is filled with joy. Jesus, that you went so far to say that you want your joy to be in us. It's astounding, Lord. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge this morning that this deep, deep joy comes from you. This indestructible joy comes from you, Holy Spirit. So I ask right now, no matter what people are facing, if they're going through a good time or a bad time, Holy Spirit, would you release your joy to them in Jesus' name? Would you release your joy to us, Lord, in Jesus' name? Let it fill our hearts, God. Let it fill our hearts to the point of overflow, to the point of rejoicing, Lord, no matter what we face, no matter what we face. In Jesus' name, amen.